All right. Well, hey, good morning, New Life Church. Good to see everybody. Everybody make their way back in. Find a seat. Let's get ready to get into the Word of God. Let's open up our Bibles this morning. We're going to be, be in two places. Uh, invite you to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and then flip back quite a ways to the book of Joshua. It's book number six in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Chapter 1. So Matthew 22 and then Joshua chapter 1. What a, just a sweet, as Diana put it this morning, just a sweet presence of God today and just a, a good gentle reminder that our life is led by someone better than us and that is Jesus. Someone more, someone who is more patient, more kind, more loving, more faithful, more gentle more good, if you could say it that way, uh, it's Jesus, and uh, I'm glad uh, that he is uh, that. Last week, we, we did a message on marriage and relationships, specifically talking about cultivating love and happiness. Uh, today, we're going to actually talk about one of the core values of our church, of New Life Church, which is being uh, stewardship-guided in everything we do. We're going to get into that, and really the, the title of today's message is called Cornerstones of Stewardship. Cornerstones of Stewardship. Let's look at God's Word today, Matthew 22, verse 36. Someone came up to the Lord and he said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Flip back to Joshua Chapter 1, verse 1, says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, that's N-U-N, not N-O-N-E, he had parents, son of Nun, some of you get it, he was Moses' assistant, thanks for laughing, makes me feel better. And the Lord said, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you that what I promised Moses, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. Remember that verse. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. Verse 4, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. It's a nice promise. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is the Lord speaking. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Again, verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Another important verse. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Verse 9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you or wherever you go. Another important verse to remember. Let's pray over God's word today. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the ability, the opportunity to come together 
as a faith family to love you, to celebrate you, to worship you, and doing it together to inspire and encourage one another. For we're not alone in this walk. We're not alone in this world. We're not alone in this life. And we're not alone on this journey. We're in different places and different, at different paces. But nonetheless, we're here because you allowed us to be here. And we acknowledge that. We acknowledge your word. We ask by your spirit now that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would understand what it is you are saying to us today. We don't want to just sit through another spiel about you. We want it to affect us. We want it to infect us. We want it to touch us. We want it to help us and change us. So give us ears to hear. Let us be an ability to concentrate and focus on it and receive it. And as we do, our lives will be better for it. And we honor you now. We say, bless this now in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say, Amen. 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 Talking about the cornerstones of stewardship today. We like to say it this way here at NLC, that we value exercising stewardship over the resources of life that God bestows upon us. That when we are faithful with what God gives us, then He blesses us to be even more effective. Therefore, stewardship really is trusting God, therefore obeying the principles of His Word. Oftentimes, when we hear the word stewardship, we hear some of you might hear names like Dave Ramsey and things like that. Uh, it certainly has to do with our, our money, our treasure, but it, stewardship really has to do with about our life. It's really about all of our life. It's about how we live our life, how we function, how we set life up, what we do with it, where we go with it. And it really boils down to stewardship is about trusting God. And because if I trust God, I'm going to obey the principles of his word. So Joshua here is commissioned by the Lord. The time has come, he said, the Lord said to Joshua, the time has come for you to lead these people, Israel, into the promised land and establish them there. So Joshua had a purpose to lead them and to help them get established. Now, just before the book of Joshua and Joshua's life really comes on the scene in, in uh, fruition like this, you had Moses. Moses was pretty much the man for years. He was the man. But in, uh, near the end of Mo- at the end of Mo- uh, Moses' life, the Lord and Moses had a little conversation. And the Lord told Moses that, hey, you're not going to be able to go across the prom- to the promised land. You're not going to be able to cross Jordan, the Jordan River, and enter in. In fact, you're going to have to just stay here and watch and only view it from here. In fact, your life ends here. It's tough, tough to come to terms with. So Moses died on Mount Nebo uh, that overlooked the promised land. Moses never got to go and set one foot in on the promised land. He could only see it with his eyes, and then, he, then his life was taken. It was over. I mean, just before that conversation, Moses commissioned Joshua and said, Mos- uh, uh, Joshua, the Lord said, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore you're going to be the man to lead these people across, establish them in, the new, in this new place called the promised land that God has given to us and promised us. I'm not going to get to go. And the reason I'm not going to get to go, the Lord told Moses, he said, look, you know, around it's in, recorded in uh, Deuteronomy 32 and in Numbers chapter 20 that uh, when uh, the people were complaining, the Israelites were complaining about having no water, and the Moses and Aaron uh, said, like, what are we supposed to do? And God said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your staff, and I want you to go over to that rock right there, and I just want you to speak to that rock, and water is going to come out. And then the people will be cool. They'll be good. And so Moses went over, and instead of speaking to the rock, he said it took, the Bible said he took his staff and he struck the rock. And because he struck the rock, he took matters into his own hands. Therefore, he disobeyed God. And when he disobeyed God, it showed a lack of trust in the Lord. So therefore, Moses was not trusting God, and because he didn't trust God, Moses disobeyed God. Now, it was Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so he, when he talks about himself, when it talks about Moses, it's Moses is talking about himself, and it records at the end of chapter 34 that there was, had never been another prophet like Moses. 
Moses did miraculous signs and wonders and performed terrifying acts in the sights of the Egyptians and the Israelites. I mean, he, Moses was a powerful man. He had great authority on his life, great power from God on his life to do great things and deliver the people of God. But his disobedience, his lack of trust in God led to Moses not being able to set foot on the promised land. And then, but God raised up a new, another guy by the name of Joshua, who was Moses' assistant. And then, therefore, Joshua was the one commissioned by the Lord to take the people in, to lead them in, and to establish themselves in this new land called the Promised Land. And, and so, in, the, in, in history, in the place of history, God, God carves out something called life, history, time a space of time, a span of time. God carves out something called life. And in this place called life, God gives us an eternal purpose. In essence, it boils down to this, to love God, to live for God, to let others see the light of God in our life, to lead other people into a life-giving relationship with God. And then one day when the time comes to leave this earth and to join him in heaven and live forever in eternity. In essence, if you want to take all of summation of life and boil it down, that is our purpose that God has given us, to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As Jesus said in Matthew 22, recorded in the other Gospels, all the way back to the book of, law, of, the, Mo, book of uh, the Law of Moses in the Old Testament. To live for him, to let others see the life of God in us, to lead other people into a relationship with Jesus. And then one day when we leave earth, we join him, hopefully. That's the game plan. That's the idea, in essence, boils down to that. And so the question bears if out of history, God carves out life and he allows each of us to live a span of time called life and gives us an eternal purpose. The question then comes to mind, how do we steward this life? How do we steward this life we've been given? What do we do with it? What do we do with it? And I think Joshua, the book of Joshua and his life really details and, and highlights uh, several things that really point to this idea, this notion of stewardship. How we steward our life. What are we going to do with it? What's it going to look like for us? And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at being a stewardship-guided people. What's it mean to be a stewardship-guided people? And I'm going to highlight, Joshua highlights uh, what I've discovered so far, four cornerstones of stewardship. Four cornerstones of stewardship. You guys with me? All right, a few of you are. We'll carry on. All right, let's look, chapter 2. We're going to look at this. We're going to look through the entire book of Joshua, verse by verse, chapter by chapters, 24 chapters. Are you ready? You guys got time for that? Believe me, I, I'm not that good, so I wouldn't blame you if you left early. So, Four cornerstones of, being, of stewardship. Four cornerstones of stewardship. Chapter 2, verse 1. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jer- Jericho. So the two men set out and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there that night. They didn't do anything wrong, though. Verse 24 says, The Lord has given, uh, they they came back with the report to Joshua. It says, The Lord has given us the whole land, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. The first cornerstone of stewardship, uh, of stewardship guided people, is this is that we count the cost. Joshua sent the spies in to the land to survey it, to count the cost. A stewardship guided person. Stewardship-guided people always count the cost. Always count the cost. In, in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus is having an interaction uh, with some people and talking about what do we do to follow you and what's it take and all those things. And Jesus basically said, he said, well, it, you, you've got you've to carry your own cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. Carry your cross, follow me if you want to be my disciple. And he said, but hey, don't start... Don't begin until you have counted the cost. And he said a person who 
is going to set out to build something would first check to make sure they had enough resources to set out and, and build whatever it is they're going to build. A, a king who was going against war with another king would count the cost by seeing how, much, how many troops he has versus how many troops the, the enemy has. And, and, he, and he ends that little part of that conversation by, by, by basically saying, look, you, you must give up everything that you own if you want to follow me. So stewardship guided people count the cost, and in counting the cost, it boils down to a couple of things. One, it boils down to surrender. It boils down to surrender. Are we willing to truly surrender our will to the Lord? Are we really willing to surrender our will to the Lord? See, the Christian faith, it's not about a country club. It's not about joining an organization. It's not about feeling good about ourselves per se. What it is, it boils down to this. It boils down that we surrender our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we let the Lord our God rule our life, lead our life. We let Him determine the kind of life we're called to live because He created us, He made it, and He knows what is best for us. The problem with us, as humans, we tend to think we know more than we really do, right? Oftentimes. So therefore, we get caught up, we get tripped up in this, in this life thinking we know what's best, we know where we need to go, we know how fast or how slow we need to go, we know the turns we need to make. It doesn't mean we're not smart and we're not aware, we don't have any wisdom in, in life. What it is, is really, do we, do we really trust God? You see, Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. it showed he didn't trust the Lord to continue. All these years of bringing, bringing these people out of bondage and out of slavery of Egypt and getting them right up to the very point. I mean, he was about to step across the Jordan River and enter into a, the promised land, what they had aimed their life after for years, and Moses couldn't go. Friend, that, hap- that can happen to any one of us, that we can take life back into our hands instead of allowing the Lord to continue to lead us. See, Christian faith is really about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't just get to go do whatever I want to do. do. Do we have the choice to? Absolutely. Every single one of us have the choice to live life however we want to live it. But if we want to live life in the faith of the Son of God and we want heaven to be our, our homeland one day, our eternal place, then here's the deal. We live life based on the way the Lord leads us. Amen? Get a few amens out of that today. It's about surrender. Jesus said, we have, you carry your cross. Every one of us, we have a cross to carry. We have a burden to bear. And we have a purpose to pursue. Every single one of us. Those of us who, uh, who, who, who are stewardship guided, we count the cost. It boils down to another thing. It's about priorities. We're able to determine what is most important. We're able to answer the question, where am I investing my life? Our time, our talent, and our treasure. Our time our talent, and our treasure, what we do with our time, how, it, how we run our life, where we sow ourselves into different things, activities, and places, where we sow our, our talent, our gifts, and the strengths that God's given us to, to go about doing life. Is it the ultimate? Are we trying to really help people know the Lord, or are we just out to make a name for ourselves? Our treasure, where are we putting our money? Where do we put it? Do we put it in the, in the faith of, of the world's economic system or do we really trust the Lord? Do we really trust the Lord to really be our caretaker, to be our provider? Because in essence, He is. In reality, He is. Counting the cost is also about making sacrifices. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is having another conversation with a rich guy, and it boils down to the end of the conversation. The disciples were asking him, how can anyone do what you want them to do? And, and, and you've got to do certain things like that. And he said, look, here's the deal. Anyone who ever sacrifices anything for the sake of the kingdom, he said, I, my father will repay them many times over in this world, plus they'll have eternal life. Here's what I've discovered in just a short 40 years and two months of life, (laughs) two months ago, is this, is that anything I've ever sacrificed for the Lord, He's always made sure that He's paid me back. More than I could have ever set out to accomplish out of my own investment. 
God's return on the investment in the kingdom far outweighs anything you and I could ever try to make happen on our own. Whether it be leaving certain places, leaving certain relationships, leaving certain jobs, sacrificing and sowing financially into the kingdom of God, God has always paid me back. Always paid me back. That's a guarantee of the way God works. He honors his word. He's not going to go back on his word. So anytime, he's, Jesus said, anytime anybody gives up anything, makes sacrifices for the kingdom, time, talents, and treasures, my Father will repay them back many times over in this life plus in eternity. So not only do we get payback here, but there's even more payback in heaven. Think about the greatest reward you and I could ever get on earth. It pales in comparison to what it's really going to be like in heaven. Amen? So we, as stewardship-guided people, as God calls us to live a stewardship-guided life, we've got to count the cost. Consider, consider the cross we are called to carry. Consider the priorities in our life. Consider the sacrifices that God asks us to make. He doesn't make us, force us, but he does ask us to make sacrifices. And those sacrifices never go unrewarded. Amen? Second cornerstone of stewardship. Chapter 4. Joshua 4, verse 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe, and, I'll, and tell them this. Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan River. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Verse 6. Joshua said, We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, What do these stones mean? And then you, will call, then you can tell them, Well, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Verse uh, 21. Then Joshua said to all the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do, you do? What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until we were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. Verse 24, He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Stewardship-guided people, number two is this, is we construct memorials with our life. We construct memorials with our life. As our life moves forward, we construct memorials because the word here tells us this, memorials do these three things. They remind us of God's faithfulness. Aren't you glad you get reminded of God's faithfulness? That He hasn't left you, He won't leave you, He has not forsaken you, and He won't forsake you. Amen? Reminds us of his faithfulness. Number two, it demonstrates God's power. God is able to come through. God is able to accomplish. God is able to do what God says he will do. He demonstrates his power. Number three, when we build memorials, construct memorials with our life, number three, it points people to God. Anything and everything you and I are set out to do is hopefully one day it's to help point people to God. Got a story for you. On a hot summer day, a little boy decided to go swimming in the lake behind his house. He went running out the back door, jumped into the water, and was happily swimming. And he did not realize that a crocodile was approaching. Yeah. His mother from the house was looking out the window and saw with horror what was happening. She instantly ran toward her son, shouting at him as loud as she could, Hearing her, the little boy became frightened and turned around and swam toward his mother, but it was too late. From the dock, the mother grabbed the little boy by his arms just as the crocodile bit down on his little legs. The woman pulled on the boy's arms with all her strength. The crocodile was much stronger, but the mother was much more passionate, and her love gave her supernatural strength. A man who heard the screams hurried over to where they were with a pistol, and he shot the crocodile several times. The little boy survived, 
And although his legs had suffered a lot he, and he underwent several surgeries, he was still able to walk. And after he had come through the trauma, a newspaper man asked if he could see the scars on his leg. The boy lifted the bedspread and showed, him, showed them to him. And seeing the worried look on the newspaper man's face, the boy, with great pride, took off his T-shirt and pointing to the scars on his arms. And he said, the scars you really need to see are these, the ones that my mother's fingernails left holding on tight so the crocodile wouldn't swallow me. I have these scars because my mother wouldn't let go for a moment, and she saved my life. Memorial scars. He will live his life forever remembering the faithfulness of God, the love of his mother. And when he tells that story and shows his memorial scars to other people, he can point back and say, look, this is how God saved my life. See, we all have memorials that we build. Sometimes, unfortunately, the memorials that we build are for us. They're not to always remind people of God's faithfulness. They're not always about demonstrating the power of God or pointing people to God, but they should be. That's the point of the memorials that God instructs us to build. What are some New Testament memorials that you and I can be building with our life? That we can, when our children ask us and they look to us and our grandchildren look to us and and they ask us and if we're fortunate, great-grandchildren look to us and ask us and other people in our life, in our path, in our circle of life, look at our life, and they say, what's that about? What's, why do you go to church? What's the big deal? Well, you can look to them, and you can talk to them, and you can express to them that I have this awesome community of, of people around me, community of faith, that, that you know what happens when I'm down? Those people are up for me. That when, I'm, when my back's against the wall, I got people that come to my rescue and help me. That, that, that's the kind of community of faith that, that I belong to. Well, and children might ask and people might ask, why do, you, why do you serve other people? Why do you go out and do things to help other people? Well, let me, and, and, well, let me just tell you this, that, 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 that there was a time in my life that, that I didn't have anything, that I had very little, and there was people who reached out to me. There was people who loved me. There were people who didn't judge me, but they accepted me and they, they served me and they helped me to put my faith in the love and the faithfulness of God because of the way they served. Why do you tithe and why do you give money to your church? And our children might ask that. Well, let me just tell you this, that one, it, it, it shows that one, my life is not my own. I've been given this life by God. And another reason is because I, I believe that God really is my source and He is my provider. That He knows how to do this thing better than I do. And that he knows the needs that I have need of even before I ask him. And I can't even begin. Let me just pull out the scroll of times and just tell you and go back over the course of my life and tell you that there was a time when I only had 12 cents to my name, but someone showed up on the front doorstep of my house and said, here are groceries. How do you explain that? Points people to God. Memorials in our life. They're not about building up a name for us, but they're really about building up a name for the awesomeness of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. Amen. I mean, every song we sang this morning was a, was a good, gentle reminder that, hey, we're in this life, but we're not alone. The Lord our God is with us. The Lord our God is for us. And here's the deal. My life is under the shadow of the Almighty, the secret place the secret place, under the shadow of the Almighty. When life storms come at me and things are hitting hard against me, how can my life be protected? It's when my life is hidden under the shadow of His wings. Amen. That when things are going on, I don't really understand them. That it kind of messes with me, brings a little chaos in my life. I don't, I don't really know which way's up or down. Right, wrong, good or bad, and everything in between, what do I do? I'm hiding in the cleft of the rock, the rock of Christ. Because I understand. 
And that then in the life that I try to set out and to live is a life that tries to point back to the Lord and shows people the scars of my life, the memorials of my life. And when people ask me, and my kids ask me, and others ask me, what's the deal with that? It, every scar has a story. Every memorial has a memory. And therefore, I'm able to tell somebody else about the goodness of the Lord and about the faithfulness of the people of God that He has placed in my life. Amen? Number three. You guys got a few more minutes? Chapter six. Talking about the cornerstones of stewardship. How are we going through, how do we set up our life? What's our life look like? How do, what's our part in it? Stewardship. Number three, verse, uh, chapter six. Uh, verse 17. Now by this time, Israel had crossed the Jordan River, and they come up upon a city called Jericho, and the instructions the Lord gave Joshua to give the people is this, for six days you're going to march around the city of Jericho one time a day for six days, that on the seventh day you're going to march around the city seven times, but you're not going to fight what you're going to do when the priests blow that trumpet and they blow it hard, and they blow it loud, here's what's going to happen. You're going to shout as loud as you can, and when you shout as loud as you can, after you've marched seven times around on this seventh day, the walls of this city are just going to fall down. Now, that's crazy. It's supposed to take cannons and torches and an ambush and all these things, but no, that's the natural mindset. The Lord said, here's what I want you to do. If you trust me, you're going to obey me, right? Stewardship is about trusting God, obeying Him. If you trust me, you'll obey, obey me. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to march seven times, not six and a half. You get tired on that fifth lap. You get tired on that sixth lap. You've got to keep going. Seven times, seventh day. Then, priests blow the horn. Here's, what's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shout. And when you shout, those walls, the walls of Jericho will fall down. It's the oldest fortified city ever in the world. And those walls are going to come down just because you do that. Just because we walk around seven times and then we, we, the priest blows the horn and then we shout. Yes, but inside of that, what you're doing is you're trusting me, God says. And in trusting me, you're going to obey what I tell you to do. Now, there are things sometimes the Lord tells us to do that in our natural mind, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when we do it and we trust him and we obey him, then we see his outcome come to pass. And that's what was going on here. And so uh, that's what they told him to do. And then Joshua told them, uh, verse 17, the walls fell down. Verse 17, Jericho and everything in it, Joshua said, must be destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in the house will be spared because she protected our spies back in chapter 2. Verse 18, do not take, this is important, do not take, any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord, and it must be brought into His treasury. Chapter 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was a son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. And here's what happened. Achan took things that didn't belong to him because Joshua from the Lord said, these things are going to be dedicated to the Lord. No one's allowed to take any of the plunder from this victory. Now you would think, in my mind, I don't know, I would think, Something huge like that, miraculous like that. Walls fall down. We didn't even have to lift a finger as far as fighting. All we had to do was lift our voice and shout. I mean, these walls just came crumbling down. We walk in, and everything we see belongs to God, and we're not to take anything. I would like to think that I wouldn't take anything. I would like to think that, right? But the heart is deceptive. So before we judge Achan, we need to judge ourselves, right? But here's, here's the cornerstone number three of stewardship-guided people. Stewardship-guided people consider the welfare of others above their own self-interest. Now, we live in a day and time where very few people consider the welfare of anybody else. 
above their own self-interest. As Christians, we're called to consider the welfare of other people above our own self-interest. That doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves, our family, or any of that. We do that. We have to. It's responsible to what God tells us to do. But at the same time, there are certain sacrifices that he calls us to make that will benefit other people. Like, don't take something that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to me, the Lord says. And so because of Achan's selfishness, the next battle that Israel went to go on to, which was the, a, a battle, a small town, only had two letters to its name, A-I. They lost. They only had about 12,000 people. And Israel has thousands. They sent about 3,000 in to fight Ai because that's what they thought that's all they needed. It wouldn't have mattered if they would have sent forty or 50,000 people in there. They still would have lost because they disobeyed God. They did not trust God. They weren't being a good steward of what God gave them. Every good victory God gives us, you and I must steward the glory back to the Lord. You must steward the glory back to the Lord. Don't think for a moment, any of us, don't get caught up in the moment where I did this for myself. I get the credit. I get the glory. Now, you might have been responsible for it and actually achieved something, but remember who it was that gave you the ability to do it. Amen? That's the difference. It's one of the big differences between a a saved person and an unsaved person, a Christian and a non-Christian. We don't take credit for God's doing. We point back to God and are quick to give God the credit and the glory. Therefore, it's a testimony. That's why we have a testimony. It shows that God did something. Therefore, we can tell others what God did. And we can point people back to the Lord. Stewardship God of people consider the welfare of others. So they, they went in and they fought Ai. They lost Joshua and the leaders were like, what is up? We shouldn't be losing. We're like, we're like God said this is what we're supposed to do. And, and Joshua started doubting, God, should we even have gone, even gone over? Should we have even done what you, all these things? And, and here's, here's, what, here's what the Lord told him. He, he said, Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? It's like, this is not the time to, to be crying. This is not the time to be, to be wailing on the floor. Here's the deal. You disobeyed me. Somebody in, in, your, in your family, somebody in your country disobeyed me. And therefore it brought shame, ridicule, embarrassment, and fear into the hearts of, of, of my people. You just disobeyed. You just need to make it right. Unfortunately, Achan and his entire family were stoned. They were burned. And they were buried in the Valley of Acre, which means the Valley of Trouble. I'm thankful we, God doesn't tell people to do that anymore. Did you tithe this week? Yeah, I tithe, and you didn't. Oh, crap, I'm going to be stoned. You get what I'm saying? It's pretty, pretty, pretty fierce. Now, we don't lie. Even in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. God struck them dead for lying because they didn't give the prophets of their field that they sold their land to the church, not because... That's what they were supposed to do is because they lied about it. And God was like, I'm trying to show you guys something here. If you're going to fear me, fear me all the way. Don't make a name. Don't make a joke out of my name. Don't make a mockery out of my name. If you fear me, fear me. Walk in my ways. Don't say you do, but don't, right? And so this is what happened to Achan and his entire family. Stone burned, buried in the valley of trouble. Now, here's the spiritual picture of this. When we live and we continue to live selfishly, it affects others around us. And then our own lives end up being covered up with trouble. Achan and his family buried in the valley of trouble. Selfishness. Selfishness never really leads to us getting our way. It leads to us getting trouble. Selfishness is something that starts early and continues with us throughout our entire life. Most of us get over it, deal with it, battle it, grow up some, get rid of the immaturity and the temper tantrums and all those things. Most, not all, there's still people older, still live selfishly, still people like me, who battle selfishness. 
Stick around me long enough, you'll realize I'm not as holy as some of you think I am. <laughs> I got issues. You got issues. All God's children got issues. <laughs> but it's something we're called to surrender my way. But God, don't, don't you want me to be happy? Yeah. But you got to do it. God says, my way, not your way. Your way is going to really lead you down a dead-end street. You can't put it in reverse fast enough to get out because it's selfish-driven and not worship-driven. It's a big difference. Stewardship-guided people consider the welfare of others. We consider the welfare of our family. Consider the welfare of our, of our church family. We consider the welfare of our, of our, of our employers. Consider the welfare of our teachers and, the, and our peers. That mean we're more righteous than everybody else, more holy than everybody else, or anything like that. It means we're trying to live the way God calls us to live. Because see, what we've got to ask ourselves is this: What I am doing, or what I'm about to do, how will it affect people around me? Think about that. Now I know we try to teach our children that. But even as we get older, we have to also remember that as adults. What I'm doing and what I'm about to do, how will it affect those around me? How will it have a direct effect on my marriage? How will it have a direct effect on my children? How will it have a direct effect on my family? How will it have a direct effect on my church family? How, how will it have a direct effect on my, on my place of employment? How will people be affected by what I'm about to do and, ha and, and what I'm doing? That's a question... As believers, especially, we should all be asking ourselves, amen? And lastly, the last cornerstone in this book is at the end. All the stuff that happens from 8, 9 on is really about Joshua helping the tribes set up their land, what belongs to who, who gets what land, who gets this, who gets that. And it's a really helping them get established in this new place. They have some battles, they have some some things they have to overcome, but really that's what it's about. And it gets down to the end, the end of Joshua's life. Years earlier it was Moses, now it's the end of Joshua's life. Chapter 23, verse 1, the years passed. The Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. And now Joshua was very old. He called together all the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And he told them, hey, I am now a very old man. Verse 11, and one of the big things he said to them is this, So, be very careful to love the Lord your God. And then in chapter 24, he's speaking to the entire community and nation of Israel. It's the famous verse most a lot of us have somewhere in our house. Joshua 24, 25, Choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This whole chapter, this whole book really, the book of Joshua started with a very important statement that the Lord told Joshua, wherever you set your foot, you will have that land. It belongs to you. Wherever your foot touches, it belongs to you. And so wherever I go and whatever I do, I'm called to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wherever I go, wherever my feet go, I'm called to love Him. The fourth cornerstone of stewardship is this, is be careful to love the Lord your God. Stewardship-guided people count the cost, construct memorials with our life, we consider the welfare of others before ourselves. And we're careful, above all things, careful to love the Lord our God. And so wherever my feet go and whatever I do, I am to love God with everything. And in the closing parts of this story, if Thomas, your team, you guys will come on back up. I'm going to wrap up here. And in the, the closing part of this story, 
verse 26. It says, Joshua recorded all these things in the book of God's instructions as a reminder of their agreement. He took a huge stone, and this is when he's like 110, took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. And Joshua sent everybody home, and Joshua died at 110 years old. And so he gathered a whole nation together. One final thing he told them, if one final thing he could tell them, we've been through a lot, we've come a long ways, learned a lot about the Lord and how to live. So here's the final thing I need to tell you. Wherever your feet go from here, Whatever you set out to do, be careful to love the Lord your God. Keep Him first. Make Him first. Love Him first. May He be your first love above all things. And He said, this big stone here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this stone, I'm rolling it here under this tree. Because at 110, I want you to see I still got it. No, he said, at a, I'm rolling this stone here because as a, just as a natural thing, he said, this stone has heard that you have said yes to everything I've said. You've told me you're going to love God with everything. Wherever you go, you're going to love the Lord. And this stone has heard you. It's a witness. So therefore, if you go back on it, remember this stone. Remember this day. And today I want to I want to give you it's not a stone although these things are laying on some stones in a box I have and who's going to help me bring this over if you got bring yeah go ahead and bring this over here you set it right out in the center here thanks that these are we have already anointed with oil, prayed over multiple times, anointed prayer cloths. But the deal with these prayer cloths is this. About a month ago, in one of our pastor staff meetings, Pastor Prentice ended our, our meeting with prayer, and, and he said, this is a little weird, I know, but just follow along with me. And he said, I feel compelled to tell you to take an anointed prayer cloth and put it in your right shoe. And keep it there. Whatever shoe you wear, put it in there. And so uh, since then, I, I've been putting that same prayer cloth in my right shoe. And at the end of the day, it's all jumbled up, mashed up, because the weight of walking. And thankfully, I can walk now with both feet, praise the Lord. And uh, But I pull it out, and I set it down on a little cushion where I sit down and tie my shoes. And then the next day, I put it in my sh- the, whatever shoes I wear the next day. And as, and it's come to remind me, I haven't forgotten that. Just It's only been 30 days, I shouldn't forget that. Pray for me if I forget that. But it's, it's serving as a reminder to me that I am to walk with the Lord. And that any time my flesh rises up, and any time I'm tempted by the enemy, or any time I want to be selfish, or whatever... Sometimes I forget it's there. At the end of the day, I take my shoes off. There's that crumpled up prayer cloth, anointed prayer cloth, and it's like, oh yeah. Did I steward my life well for the Lord today? So at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, I'm reminded to steward my life for the Lord, and at the end of the day, how well did I do that? So today I want to give all of you, we want to give all of you one of these today. That uh, next to last song you did, awesome. We're in the spirit. We're in, he said that's the one I picked. We're in the spirit on the Lord's day. How about that? They're going to play that song. It's just a perfect song for today. And as, before we 
do a final dismissal, if you can hang for a minute. I'm going to invite you, if you say, I want to really steward my life for the Lord. And you might be doing well. You might, I'm not doubting your faithfulness, your integrity, your convictions, or any of that stuff. That's not what this is about. But this is just about, hey, God's called me to make sure I don't forget to be careful to love Him, to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said it's the first and greatest commandment. And to love my neighbor as myself for these two commandments. This is what hinges and bridges the entire law of the Old Testament together. So today I'm going to invite you, if you can stand, if you're able to stand. And then I'm just going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to say a prayer after you come and get it and you return to your seat. Just take one of these and then I'm going to say a corporate prayer over all of us today. If you want to walk this year making a conscious effort to steward your life for the Lord. Let's do that. Holy, holy Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to Most holy, worthy of glory, power and majesty are yours. Holy, holy.
such a holy presence here today. Uh, just a, such a special response from us to God. And God honors humility. He honors humility. In fact, that's who He gives His grace to. Three years ago today, on this Sunday, we held our first service at this location. Uh, three years it's been now. God said, now's the time for you to go and do this. Three years. A memorial I keep in my office as a reminder of a new beginning and a new life for this church family. And now in April will be two years as New Life Church. And it's a humbling privilege to be able to lead a group of people in the name of the Lord, uh, one that I don't take for granted. And the, the anointing cloths you have been anointed with the closest oil to the Old Testament conditions, frankincense and myrrh. Smells good. So it'll be real good in our shoes. <laughs> if you want to doctor yourself up with it too, you can. But if you're able to hold it out and hold it up to the Lord, I just want to pray this over us today. Father God, we love you, and we're thankful for this life you give us. And We live in a unique time. I'm sure every generation has said that. But we acknowledge that it's different and it's unique, and some, something about life sometimes is hard and it hurts. And sometimes we don't really know all the answers or what direction to go. But if we will trust you and obey you, you'll lead us and take us where our life needs to go. So by faith and in agreement with your word, we're going to take these prayer cloths, put them in one of our shoes, our right shoe, and just every day... Tell ourselves, today I will steward my life for the Lord. Every decision I make, every reaction and reaction and reply and response I have to situations and to people, remind us, Holy Spirit, that we're to steward our life for the Lord. And at the end of the day, when we get home and we take those shoes off and we see that cloth sitting there, May we be prompted by your spirit to ask, how well did we steward today? Not in condemnation, but in true general retrospect of the day according to you. Did we trust you today? Did we obey you today? And Lord, the next morning when we get up, we make that same promise that our life is not our own, our lives belong to you. We have a cross to bear and a purpose to pursue. And it's in you that we live and move and have our being. Collectively, we say yes and amen to this today in Jesus' name. Amen? You receive that for your life. Receive that for your purpose. Receive that for your walk in the Lord today. Amen.